Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. We are so thankful that all of you decided to check us out here this morning, especially if you're new. Maybe this is literally your first time watching Grumlaw online. We definitely don't take that for granted. Honestly, thank you so much for giving us a shot. I also want to challenge you, come back for at least three weeks. And the reason I say that, uh, every single week is unique. Every single week is different. And we just frankly think it's going to take you at least a couple of weeks to get an accurate feel uh, of what we're all about here. And frankly, I'm really, really confident that if you come back for those three three straight weeks. Uh, This will be something that you actually look forward to each and every week. Now today we are entering into part three, which also happens to be the final part of this series titled Real Prayers for Real Life, where very, very practically speaking, we are learning how to, to pray. Because for most of us, we, we pray the way that we've always prayed, right? How we were taught to pray probably when we were kids. Our, our prayers haven't really progressed very much. Now, that might not be all bad, depending on maybe the home or the church that you did or you didn't grow up in. But, but there's likely some stuff for, for all of us that's happening in our prayers that's, well, wrong. And if, and if that offends you or maybe causes you to get a little defensive and throw a wall up right now, don't, don't get mad at me. I didn't come up with this stuff. As I've been reminding us throughout the series, as we've been learning, it was Jesus who said this stuff. It was Jesus who taught us this stuff, a person whom I think we would all agree is a pretty reliable source in this particular department. Now, it's also worth noting that this sermon is really a 90-minute sermon that we've broken down into, into three parts. And so if you have not been here for the entirety of this series, I would highly, highly encourage you to get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages. Uh, or as I always mention, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab those podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wh- wherever. Make sure you're catching yourself up there. And, and I really want to encourage you to actually do this. Like if you weren't here for parts one and two, or maybe you missed one or missed two, go back and listen to those messages, prayer is way too important to leave it to chance, especially when when Jesus so directly tells us, hey, this then is how you should pray, right? I mean, it doesn't get more direct really than that. He's like, this is literally exactly how you should do this thing called prayer. He tells us, in fact, that that when and and where you pray, it, it matters, he goes out of his way to tell us that, that long, rehearsed, elaborate prayers, they, they don't impress him. In fact, Jesus actually goes out of his way to remind us that your father knows what you need before you ask him. And we've joked around about this the first couple of weeks. We should all be in unison replying right now, then, then what in the heck am I praying for, right? Like he, he already knows. And, and it's right there that, that Jesus has us exactly where he wants us. See, Jesus, as it would turn out, is far less concerned with how we pray and a whole lot more concerned with why we pray, the the purpose of prayer. See, according to Jesus, the the purpose of prayer isn't to inform God of our wishes and to inform God of our wants and inform God of our our needs. No, the purpose of prayer is to align your will with, with God's will. The the purpose of prayer is to to surrender our will, not to impose it. And this really shouldn't come as a surprise, right? We are, after all, Jesus followers. We're not Jesus convincers. We're not Jesus users. In fact, here's something to actually kind of think about, and it's a bit disconcerting. 
In the Gospels, those, those four accounts of, of the life of Jesus that we find right at the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there, there actually is an individual who's well-documented that attempted to convince, manipulate, and, and use Jesus. Do you remember his name? His name was Judas. As it would turn out, Judas had an agenda for, for Jesus. Judas's will be done. Judas's kingdom come. And in the end, he, he failed. And the truth is, so will you, and, and so will, will I. So, so Jesus, he challenges us to pause and recognize who it is that we are addressing. The, the God who is both infinite yet, yet intimate. The, the, the one who gives meaning to and provides context for, for our lives. But pause right there and you'll be a heck of a lot more likely to declare, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven right here, right now. See, consumers and users, they, they never get there. Judas never got there. The disciples, well, they, they barely got there. But, but we all should stay and pray there until we can genuinely get to a place where we say, Heavenly Father, I want your will to be done. From there, as we saw last week, Jesus brings us to a place of, of surrender, a, a posture of dependence on, on him, not just for, for our food, but for everything. In fact, he specifically tells us to ask for provision, pardon, and, and protection. And, and notice that all three of these assume surrender. Now, we covered the provision and the pardon part last week. Go, go back again and listen to last week if you weren't here. But, but that last part, protection, is, is such a big deal that we actually decided to give it its own week. Jesus' words, and, and lead us not into temptation. Now, now, those of you who grew up going to church, You've probably prayed this prayer at some point in your life, right? Now, now you maybe put it in your own words, God, keep temptation far from me, but, but the sentiment is, is still the same. But th th there's also a, a dilemma. It's the name of the talk, actually, for today. A, a dilemma. C can you pray this prayer with a clear conscience? H here's what I mean. Y you can't be planning to give into temptation you can't be planning to lead yourself into temptation and then pray not to be led there. Well, I suppose that's not necessarily all true. I mean, you could, but, but, but that would make you a what? That's right, a, a hypocrite. And, and we've already spent too much time talking about those hypocrites during this series. So some of you, you probably don't know this, but, but Jesus was actually led into temptation. And so I tell you that because he can relate to your temptation more than you probably realize. In fact, the writer in Hebrews, he reminds us of this. He says, for we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Jesus was literally tempted in every way, sort of like, well, you and me. And so in light of that, we're offered a promise. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need or, or in our time of temptation. But, but again, this, this kind of brings us to a dilemma. Do, do you want mercy and grace in your time of need, in your time of temptation? Do you truly want to be delivered from temptation? Or, you don't have to answer this out loud, do, do you play the sin now, ask forgiveness later game? 
See, it's, it's a terribly religious game that assumes so little of God. It, it assumes that God is, is inept, that he's, that he's gullible, that, that God is stupid. It, it assumes that God can be used and God can be manipulated. It, it reduces him to, and we talked about this last week, a, a mere conscience cleanser, a cleaning product. And, and just so we're really, really clear, that God does not exist. See, <laughs> there's nothing hallowed, there's nothing holy about a God that is so easily manipulated. That, that God isn't worth surrendering to. That God isn't worth singing to. He's certainly not worth praying to. That is an, a, an imaginary God. It's a figment of our religious imagination created to make us feel better about the sin that eventually leads us to regret it. And, and think about this. It's pretty interesting. When we find ourselves grappling with the consequences and the regrets of sin now and ask forgiveness later, what do we do? <laughs> we pray. To, to who? We, we pray to the God who was so senile that he winked at our sin and then forgot about it. I mean, what kind of a faith system is that? Fortunately, again, that God does not exist. That is not your heavenly Father, you have a father in heaven who loves you, and he sent his son to die for you, to die for your foolishness and your blatant disregard for wisdom, for your blatant disregard of truth and common sense. God doesn't wink at sin. It costs way too much for that. So Jesus tells us when you pray, say, say this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from evil. And what do you know? We find ourselves right back at surrender. You can't be planning evil and then simultaneously be praying to be delivered from it. Unless, of course, again, you want to be one of those people that Jesus had zero patience for, the hypocrites. Now, now that term, d deliver, is, is a little interesting. It, it means to rescue from danger or to preserve. And think about this, we lead ourselves into temptation because we have convinced ourselves it's, it's not dangerous. We lead ourselves into temptation and then we ask God to deliver us from our evil. Worse, we lead ourselves into temptation and then we turn right around and we blame God for the evil. And so with all of that as the backdrop, with all of that in mind, let's think for a moment. What leads? Or perhaps more appropriately stated, who leads? Let me ask us an even more direct question. Why do you lead? Why do you lead you into temptation? What or who or what about you leads you to the threshold of regret over and over and over again? Oftentimes we think about it, right? It's the same regret. It's the same temptation. They're the usual suspects, but usually there's something beneath the surface that fuels those usual suspects. What leads you into temptation, and why are you so prone to keep returning there? See, behind those usual suspects are, are fear and isolation, insecurity, anger, jealousy, resentment, greed, lies, loneliness. And all those things, and that's far from a complete list, along with all of our temptations, they can be categorized under, under two headings, protection and gratification. 
Come on, you don't need to be a Christian to get your head around this. If we take our lead from these two, protection and gratification, who do our lives center on? Right? Our, ourselves. And, and when you take the lead from these two, somebody always eventually gets hurt. Actually, at least two somebodies get hurt. You and, and someone that you care about. Protection and gratification, to be clear, are, are important. They're necessary. But they are horrible leaders. Follow them and they will lead you into temptation and worse yet, they will leave you there. They will lead you into temptation and will not lift a finger to deliver you from anything. And in fact, I'm not really telling you anything that you don't already know. You've got the tattoos, the memories, the scars, and the wounds to prove it. Self-protection and self-gratification lead us in circles. You'll be chasing your tail for more and more and more and more. And you know this, there is never enough. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Pursue self-protection, pursue self-gratification. Eventually, you'll find yourself asking the question that every philosopher, every poet, every songwriter asks and cannot answer. Why am I here? What's my purpose? See, that, that, that's a self-protection, a self-gratification, a self-fulfillment question. Come on, but the truth is, I, I want to know why I'm here so I will know why I'm here. It, it's, it's all about me. But the better question, the Jesus question, the, the thy kingdom come question is, who am I here for? See, see you begin asking this question and, and the world, it, it opens up to you. Fulfillment, purpose, and meaning are always found across the border from, from what's in it for, for me. A, a meaningful life requires that we become a means to an end. I mean, think about it. Th that's what meaning means. Meaning requires that we become a means to an end other than ourselves. Meaning and purpose require us to say no to us so that we can say yes to something bigger. Come on, let, let's just be honest for a moment. Isn't that at least part of the reason that you decided to come and check things out today at a church, or, or at least initially when you think back at why you began to explore all of this? Weren't you sort of hoping that there was something bigger than, well, you? That, that there's more to life than, than what you're currently experiencing, than what you're currently living into? That itch that exists inside all of us is really hoping, even if you've never articulated it, that that there has to be more to life than, than, than this. But, but come on, what, what you're actually saying is there has to be more to life than me. And, and you're not alone. God actually put that curiosity inside every single one of us. And it is precisely why Jesus invites you, follow me. And, and when we accept Jesus' invitation to follow him, we don't merely believe in him, but we actually follow him. We are embracing a thy kingdom come, thy will be done way of life. I mean, after all, Jesus himself, he didn't come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, including, well, you. And, and he tells us, he makes it very clear, that is where true life is, is found. We'll live for more than ourselves, and we'll have in turn more than ourselves to show for ourselves. This is Jesus' invitation to, to you, you who are watching right now. He, he invites us to follow a better Lord and a far better leader than, 
than you. And, and again, I'll just challenge you to look inwardly. Your own life has, has probably shown you, like mine, that, that you're not very good at this. Don't miss this. Following Jesus and embracing surrender is the alternative to being led into temptation. There is a path that delivers you from evil. And, and it's not discipline, though it requires discipline. It's not just self-control, though it requires self-control. It's saying yes to Jesus' original invitation. Follow me. This is so much more than, than believing the right things. Christianity that's been reduced to merely believing things is, is a counterfeit Christianity. Faith that doesn't do things and, and it doesn't accomplish anything, it doesn't change or improve things, is, is well worthless. In fact, Jesus and those first century followers could not have been more clear on that point. And, and anyone who hears these words and merely commits them to memory or tucks them away in a journal or nods their head in approval and goes, mm, yeah, that's good, but, but actually doesn't live into it, doesn't actually practice it, again, it's, it's useless, it's, it's worthless. Following requires surrender. But Jesus also promises us that, that he will not lead us into temptation. He, he will not lead us to, to navigate this life on our own because the truth is he just loves you way too much for that. So he says, I, I want to lead you to look beyond you. I, I want to lead you to do unto others what it is that I have done for, for you. That is where life, a life that is truly life, is, is found. So he tells us, come on, just follow me. Jesus would eventually take his entire life's work, and honestly, he doesn't get enough credit for this, and, and he would reduce it to, to, to one seminal statement. All that is following can be reduced to just this one command. Jesus' words, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. To which a lot of person would have thought, well, that's not really that new. And Jesus would have paused and said, I'm, I'm not finished yet. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And let us remember how far the love of Jesus reached. It put him on a cross. His life for, for your sin. See, there's no hiding behind this command. In, in almost every scenario, you know what love requires of you. This is where following Jesus takes you. It takes us to, to, to love that positions us as a means to an end that is not us. He, he will not lead us into temptation, but the opposite of temptation isn't heaven. The opposite of temptation, which is all about me to the neglect or perhaps the mistreatment of you, is, is love. Remember our little dilemma? C can you pray this prayer with a clear conscience without being a hypocrite, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil? The, the, the assumption here is that you have decided to follow Jesus. Have you? The, the assumption is that you've surrendered your will. Have you? Can you pray that? Can you pray the way that that Jesus instructed us to pray? Or does, does that create some tension? And as we've been talking about during this series, pay attention to that tension. 
It's where God wants to work in you. And before you push back and before you decide it's just too high of a price to pay, just, just be honest with you for a moment. What do you have to show for all the temptations that, that you allowed yourself to be led into or the temptations that you've given into? I mean, I ask myself that question. What do I have to show? I mean, saying yes to temptation, it generally results in, in a lack of something. It results in a decrease. It, it results in a lack of financial security decreased ability to be generous, a a lack of trust between you and your spouse, a lack of trust between you and your fiance, a lack of trust between you and your parents, a lack of trust between you and your kids, an erosion of joy, decreased transparency, so many secrets, or or the erosion of physical and mental health, which imposes a greater burden on the people that we say we care about the most. It, It results in limited options, less freedom, more regret. Church, temptation is the threshold to loss. Choosing to follow Jesus is the threshold to life. It's an invitation to love and an invitation to spend less time in the mirror, less time looking inward, and more time looking up and around. Heavenly Father, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from every evil thing. Deliver me from anything that directly or indirectly harms, dishonors, or demeans another person, a a person whom you, Jesus, saw fit to to die for. As we wrap up this series, as we wrap up this message this morning, I want to give us a a simple way to remember all of this. But but before we go there, I want to make sure I'm, I'm crystal clear on this point. Jesus' prayer, what we've been walking here through, what we typically refer to as the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's a pattern. It's a, it's a template for prayer. But it's not a formula. That, that is, it's not magic. Say these words just like this, and here's the outcome you'll receive. It, it represents a posture and perspective for prayer. It underscores the purpose of prayer, which is to get our hearts in tune with our, with our Heavenly Father's. Prayer, as we've learned, is, is less about receiving and more about resyncing, realigning, rehearsing, and remembering who God is and who we are in relation to him. Prayer, as Jesus teaches us, is, is a call to surrender our lives. It's, it's saying, thy will be done. It's, in fact, an opportunity to commit to, to truly following Jesus. It's about getting us to a place, that, that, that special place that you've maybe occasionally seen in others, but it's where God actually wants to bring all of us, that, that big, that audacious, that, that bold, that deep faith where, where, where you say yes before you know what he's going to ask. Your yes is already on the table because you've come to recognize just how for you God is. You've figured out that he is such a better ruler than, than you could ever dream to be. Now, now, some of what I've heard over the course of this series is like, okay, well, Shay, can, can I not pray for my mom who's sick? Should I, should I not pray before meals? That seems like just a good Christian thing to do. No, 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 of course not. You should absolutely pray those prayers. We're, in fact, encouraged all over Scripture to pray for those other things and other people and other circumstances. But, but Jesus is trying to show us that there's not really much of a point at laying any of that at his feet until you have acknowledged his right to rule until you've surrendered to, to his lordship, until you've decided that not only am I, am I going to believe, but, 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 but I'm going I'm to follow. 
This then is, is how you should pray. Our, our Father in heaven, our, our heavenly Father, not a version of our earthly fathers, but the perfection of our earthly fathers. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name, God. The, the, the God who is, who is both infinite yet, yet intimate. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No longer is it all about my will and my little kingdom here on earth. No, no, it's about your will and your kingdom that you, by the way, have invited me to be a part of. Give us today our daily bread, recognizing that not just our food, but everything comes from him. We are utterly dependent on him. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To the same degree, God, that I have forgiven the people around me, I I want you to extend that same forgiveness to me and lead us not into temptation, but but in fact, deliver us from evil. God, we, we are asking for your protection so that we have more of a capacity to love the people around us. And in that, then we are demonstrating and authenticating our love for you. Address God as Father, declare his greatness, surrender your will, and acknowledge your dependence for provision pardon and protection. When you do this, according to Jesus, your unseen father will see what is done in secret and he'll hear what is prayed in private and he will reward you. We pray from a posture of surrender. We pray our way to surrender. We pray until we are surrendered. I mean, after all, it's only once we're surrendered that we're truly Jesus' followers. As we've asked throughout this series, does prayer work? This way, the Jesus way, it always works. It works on us and in us to to free us. It's an invitation into freedom that we will never experience or understand otherwise.